You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. We're in a message series called The Hope of Heaven, and I hope you're encouraged by it. Um, We're going to continue on today. Over the last few weeks, I've been teaching through kind of the what's heaven going to be like. And so the first week we looked at is uh, the place in heaven that we're going to go to. The second week, we looked at the people that we're going to see. And then this week, we're looking at uh, this idea of the person we're going to spend time with. And that person is Jesus Christ. Next week, you don't want to miss, it's the pathway to heaven. Uh, Led Zeppelin said he found a stairway and Guns N' Roses say they're knocking on the door to get in. So uh, we're going to explain kind of the pathway and how to get to heaven. Hey, I heard a a funny joke the other day I want to share with you. I heard about this lady that died and she found herself standing at the pearly gates. And then St. Peter said, you can't come in unless you correctly spell a word. And she said, okay, what word? He said, any word. So she spelled the word love, L-O-V-E. Peter said, welcome to heaven. So glad you're here. Then Peter said, hey, I'm busy. Uh, Can you take my spot for a moment? And he instructed her, hey, if anybody comes in, uh, just go through the same procedure I just did with you. She said, okay. So in a few minutes, lady, this lady sees her ex-husband starts to walk in. She said, what are you doing here? And he said, I can't believe it, but yeah, I had a heart attack. And did I really make it to heaven? And she said, no, not yet. You have to correctly spell a word. And he said, okay, fine, what word? After a long pause, she said, Czechoslovakia. (laughs) What do people say about heaven? Like I said, you've heard it. Led Zeppelin said he found a stairway. Jake Owen, the country music singer, said it's just 10 minutes down the road, down a dirt road, and he promises he could have you back by tonight. Bruno Mars said that he met a girl that makes him feel like he got locked out of heaven. And Coldplay says, yes, that can hurt. Khalid is looking for an offer from heaven because there's just nothing for him left down here. Five-Finger Death Punch is angry. Imagine that. The band Five-Finger Death Punch is angry. They found out they were on the wrong side of heaven and on the righteous side of hell. On the other hand, Brian Adams says it wasn't that hard to see. In fact, he and his girl are already there in heaven here on earth. And Inya says that she can't get any higher. Michael Jackson said that he couldn't wait for it. And the young Jewish hip-hop artist, Madas Yahoo, says he's been waiting the whole, his whole life praying for one day when there'd be no more war and the children would play. Oh, Willie Nelson is still moaning about how heaven is closed and hell is overcrowded. And true story, uh, frontman Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons, his parents are leaders of a church in, in the UK, a vineyard church, and he sings about a song saying he wants his soul awakened and he knows that everybody is made to meet the maker. Billie Eilish says Peter's on vacation and there's no open invitation. The pearly gates look more like picket fences once you're inside of them. If you got friends, you can't invite them in. Lastly, Ed Sharon says he took the supermarket flowers off the window seal and he swears his grandmother was made in the shape of an angel 
and is glad that she looks down from heaven to see the person he's become. And he's sure that when God took her back, God said, hallelujah, you're home. So what do we know about heaven? Um, here's what I've heard so far about the series from many of you. Somebody wrote in and said, hey, it's been incredibly comforting for me. I have cancer, and I know that uh, these messages have given me incredible hope for my future home in hell. Uh, in hell. Oh, my gosh. Wow, delete that. That was terrible. Where did the mind go? Wow, that was funny. I will remember that forever. Probably in heaven, I will remember that. Because we will have memory. Oh my goodness. Thank for what my future home like is in heaven. Thank you. It did not say that word, H-E double hockey sticks, no. I heard somebody else say, hey, I never heard biblical teaching on this subject and I've been a Christian for more than 30 years. Somebody else said, I lost a loved one and haven't been able to move forward in life and I came to the church in desperate need of hope. I needed answers about heaven. Thank you for teaching. It's really helping me gain closure. Someone else said, heaven sounds awesome. I can't wait to go. So what do you know about heaven? This morning, I want to teach you what Jesus is doing in heaven. Number one, he is working on it. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus promised a group of discouraged and doubting disciples, and he's working on it. He said this in John chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not... Would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself and where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples and later in, in that same uh, chapter of John, Jesus is gonna talk about the pathway to heaven. Uh, next week, we're going to walk through that. You know, the world says there's one pathway. Well, what does Jesus have to say? But this morning, I want to draw your attention to what Jesus said, that he will uh, come again and take you to myself where I am, you may be also. When you get to heaven, Jesus will be there. You need to know that Jesus has been working on it. It's going to be far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Jesus was a, a, a carpenter's son. He knows how to work. The Bible says in Colossians that he, all things hold together through him, the heavens and the earth. The, the gospel of John records in John chapter 1 that, that, that he is above all things, that he holds everything together, that he's before all things. This is Jesus, the master carpenter. Revelation 21.5 tells us again this description that Jesus is working on this place called heaven. Um, for you and I, we can imagine what it, what, that it'll just be better and better over time. If you happen to notice when you drove in, you saw plow, uh, flowers planted. You saw maybe some of the courtyard back here. Those are your resource initiative dollars at work. We're beautifying this place. On earth, we have the privilege, a God-given design for us to work and create things and cultivate things, and we make things really beautiful. Um, with Jesus, we're following in the footsteps. He is a creator. He is a builder. He, he creates things. And so Jesus says that he's been working on it. 
not only has he been working on it, but you need to know in heaven, Jesus is going to make time for you and me. Um, you have a, 100% availability to Jesus. Jesus will be available to you, number two. So you want to realize now that y- you have complete access to the person of Jesus Christ in heaven. There's not a lottery system to get time with Jesus. You will, to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Um, the apostle John says it like this, um, describing what the new heaven, new earth will be like. He says, and I heard a loud voice, Revelation 21, 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Who's on the throne? That's King Jesus saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Where do people dwell? They dwell on earth. What are we going to get? The future final state of heaven will be a new heaven, a new earth. God's going to be with us. Jesus is going to be with us. What will that be like? You've heard a song before. I can only imagine what it's going to be like that day when we face Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, face to face. I think there will be a physical body when he was resurrected after his death and burial. He resurrected and he presented a physical body. You can expect that there very likely be a sense of kind of reverence and all when you face Jesus. Um, in Daniel chapter 10, we see this envisioning of when you, you meet your, your king, your creator, you fall down on your face in awe and reverence. There would be some natural fear. When you think back through the gospel accounts, when, when people on earth saw angels, what was the first emotion? Fear, a little afraid. I mean, this is a person who knows everything about your past, your present, and your future. This is an omniscient, all-knowing God, man named Jesus. We may be afraid, even we have a complete access to him. At first, we may feel that. But the Bible tells us, Matthew 5, 8, there in your notes, Jesus promises you're going to see him with your eyes. You will see him. You will have fellowship with him. Now, here comes the challenging thought process. If billions of people are in the new heaven, new earth, and everybody has availability to him, how is that going to work logically? If Jesus has a physical body, how is somebody that maybe maybe he's going to see and experience and have an encounter with Jesus. Just imagine yourself, you're you're in heaven, you're spending time with Jesus, and then what do you look over and there's somebody else spending time with Jesus? Or is this, there's this long line and you have to wait in line to get time with Jesus? There's really no clear answer. However, what I will remind you that um, one option is, is that I mean, you could imagine, you could imagine if you're looking over and you see lots of Jesuses spending time with lots of people, but there's only one Jesus. So how is this going to work? He by chance or perhaps could restrict an attribute and that attribute would be omnipresent. The Bible teaches that Jesus is omnipresent, that God is omnipresent. We have one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all fully being equal and all sharing in the same divine right and power. So how are we going to do this? Maybe God would restrict his omnipresence, not everywhere at once, 
And somehow, maybe in another sphere, another dimension, we're able to spend time with him. And to us, it seems as if we're just spending time one-on-one with Jesus. I don't know, but I do know that in the gospel accounts, while Jesus was on earth, before his death, Jesus seemed to have restricted his omniscience. Omniscience means all-knowing. In Mark chapter 13, there in your notes, Matthew 24 and Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus refers to the second coming and says, no one knows, not even Jesus, other than the Father. He, in a sense, has divine privilege to the wealth of information about God's eternal plan, but however, on the earth, Jesus chose to restrict himself from that knowledge omniscient. Um, It could be that Jesus on the new heaven, new earth restricts that divine attribute of omnipresence and we see a one physical location of Jesus. Where will he rule and reign from? Jerusalem. How would we get from, say we're a new heaven, new earth, get to Jerusalem? Perhaps we teleport. I I don't know. We teleport, we're in Jerusalem with Jesus and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But what the Bible is clear about is that we will be, we will have direct access to Jesus. Jesus promised it in Matthew 5, 8 and all throughout the scriptures. The prophets have foretold that we will be with him. The apostle John said that the dwelling place of God will be with man. So you're going to have access to him. Number three, what's Jesus doing in heaven? Jesus will reign and rule as king over all creation. The Bible tells us that in, in Revelation that you're gonna, you, uh, Jesus will have a robe and upon his side it will say king of kings and what? Lord of lords. This Jesus is a king. He's the rightful ruler as king over all of creation. The prophet Isaiah depicted this in Hebrews 1.8. And in the New Testament, it, said, it reads this, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. God will make every wrong right. He will reign and rule. There will be perfect justice in the world. The injustice we see will be corrected. There will be a ruler, and that ruler will be Jesus. How will he lead? What will his leadership look like? According to the Bible, the Bible tells us that he will lead his bride as a loving bridegroom. Jesus displays his relationship to us as believers as a loving husband to a uh, a supportive and submissive wife. In my household, when it's a good day and Pastor Ryan is living just in line with God's design and fulfilling the scriptures, I'm serving and loving and leading as a sacrificial loving husband according to Ephesians chapter 5. My leadership in the household, God has appointed me as he has every male in a a, uh, relationship with his wife to be a sacrificial loving leader. Not a not a dominant leader, not a uh, domineering leader, but a sacrificial leader. And so the relationship is that when we get to heaven, King Jesus will rule and reign, but he's going to do so in such a way that's loving, 
caring, sacrificial. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's continually ministering, serving as a mediator between God and man. I'll share with you more about that as we get into communion. He paid one price, paid it for all. However, he's a sacrificial, loving leader. Revelation 21, Matthew 9, Ephesians 5, all illustrates that his leadership will be this sense, a sense of his loving leadership as a bridegroom leads the bride, he will do so with the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And so we will be led by King Jesus as a loving husband would lead his wife and his, and his kids. So you can imagine in a great, loving, perfect relationship, there's access, there's joy, there's connection, there's fun, but there's also work. In a household, if you got a good household, there ought to be chores. Well, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Well, King Jesus has got agendas, things for us to accomplish. We will have, he will assign special responsibilities, you're going to have responsibilities to do. Some of you say, wait, 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 I thought work was a result of the curse. Wrong. Go back to your Bible. Look before sin entered the world. God said he created man and he put him in the garden to what? Work. Imagine this, on your best day at work, in in months past, years past, when the resources came together and the team was not funky and dysfunctional. It was all gelling and jiving. It was moving and grooving. Everything was working perfect. Deadlines, times, resources, team members, all working in incredible harmony to accomplish a big project, and it all just came together. The joy that you feel when you accomplish it, that's what heaven will be like all the time. When you're doing a responsibility, you're fulfilling it somehow in an absolute divine design, 100%, and you're able to accomplish a great deal of good. Bible talks about even having ownership and responsibility over cities, over people. There'll be a a, a new government and King Jesus will serve as the head. And depending on how we live our life on earth will determine the amount of responsibilities we have in heaven according to Luke chapter 19 verses 17 through 19. So not only will there be responsibilities that will bring us great pleasure and joy, but Jesus himself will be the source of our delight and of our worship. You will be energized by spending time with Jesus. What will fulfill you at the greatest level of your life, even in the new life to come, will be in the presence of Jesus. He will be the source of your delight Bible describes him as a sun that's giving radiance and warmth to all the new world. There'll be, he, we will orbit around him. He will be the source and the supremacy of all of our desires will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Some of us think about, well, if, you'll, if we're going to worship a long time, um, won't we wear out? St. Augustine, fourth century theologian, said this in response to that question. He says, we shall not be wearied by the praise of God nor by his love. If your love should fail, so would your praise. But if love will be everlasting because of the beauty of God will be inexhaustible, fear not that you will lack power ever to praise him whom you will have power ever to love. You will worship Jesus for all eternity. What will your worship look like? I think you'll worship while you work. I think you'll worship while you're walking. You'll be worshiping in life together. You'll be worshiping all the time. 
You will always be in the presence of the Lord. How will that look? Will he restrict his omnipresence? I don't have answers. It could be possible. But we will have 100% access to him and we won't grow weary in worshiping him and he will be the center of our world, our universe, in our own lives. People ask me, is there another way to heaven? No, there is not. There is no heaven without Jesus. You can't get into heaven without Jesus. Here's a point you might want to write down. There is no heaven without Jesus, and there's no Jesus without heaven. Jesus promises something really big, paradise, eternal. What about other world religions, and they all think they've got it right? And what, about, what did Jesus really say about the pathway to heaven? That's next week. We'll learn about the pathway to heaven. What did Jesus say? John chapter 14, you can dig into that. But Jesus, you can't have Jesus without having heaven. If you simply place your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is your Lord and Savior, you are immediately forgiven of your sin. If it's true of your heart, you confess with your mouth, you believe that, you're immediately saved, you're adopted into God's family, and you're given not only eternal life, but an eternal inheritance and an everlasting life in heaven. And Jesus will be there. Number five, Jesus promises to give rewards, treasures, and crowns in heaven. Now, I've taught many times in the past about this idea of rewards. I mean, the Matthew passage is easy. There's a lot of them all throughout the scripture about reward in heaven. Uh, Matthew 5.12 says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That comes out of the, uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest message uh, ever told, ever preached. It's like Jesus' greatest hits. Matthew chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's also been called the Beatitudes. And Jesus talks about this blessing and there, there would be reward in heaven. How do you get reward in heaven? Well, Matthew chapter 6, for those of you that want to jot down an extra passage of Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Um, for wherever your heart is, that's, uh, that's where your finances will be, your, your resources will be. So when you give financially, you're building rewards in heaven. Um, John Piper, great American theologian, likes to call that Christian hedonism. Um, where you, you make the a- ambition and effort that if you uh, seek to uh, bring the most pleasure to your life, if you want to bring as much pleasure as you possibly can on this life and the life to come, then you glorify Jesus Christ. And as a result, you're given reward, treasures, crowns in heaven. You're given the best life now, the greatest joy, the greatest freedom, the greatest knowledge here and now. It's Christian hedonism. I totally agree with that idea. I've said it a million times, the best life is the Christian life. How could it not be? If he really is the creator, the sustainer, the builder of all things, we have access to the Holy Spirit through God, the Holy Spirit. We have help along the way. All our sins have been paid for by Jesus. Therefore, I get eternity with him. How could that not be incredible? It's the best life. But what about these crowns? What I want to do in our remaining time is to walk through uh, the five different crowns that the Bible teaches that we can receive in heaven based upon how we live on earth. Now, let me pause for a moment. There's nothing you can do on earth to earn your way to heaven. Simply professing your faith in Jesus Christ, 
believing Jesus that is Lord, confessing with your mouth and lips, Jesus, you're my Lord, boom, you're given salvation. For it is by grace you've been saved, not through works, but it's by grace you've been saved. However, once you get to heaven as a believer, depending on how you lived your life on earth will determine the amount of rewards, responsibility, um, treasure, and crowns that you receive. So what I found fascinating most of all about this whole uh, study effort that I made in, in the Heaven series is I knew that these crowns existed, but I actually never found out that Jesus is the one that hands all these crowns out. Jesus himself. Well, that makes perfect sense. He's the righteous and ruling judge. He's the king of all kings. Who better else to receive a, a reward than that from Jesus? We think of awards and ceremonies. We think of perhaps the Oscars or whatever, but this is heaven's Oscars. These are far greater. The first crown is that I want to um, teach you about is the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 4 through 11, the apostle uh, Peter writes in, to encourage uh, uh, believers that, that when the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, appears that they will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is all for those that serve in the church faithfully. When you serve, you need to know, Jesus is watching everything. He is taking note. He cares tremendously. He loves his church. He died for the church, so we don't have to die for the church. He wants us to be caretakers. He wants us to love people in our neighborhood groups. He wants us to serve in North Valley kids, North Valley students, guest services. Why? Because he loves his church and he chooses in his divine plan and purpose that people would reflect the work of the great shepherd, Jesus, and help shepherd the flock. That's another analogy for the church. And so when you're caring for people, you need to know Many of you have already earned this crown of glory. I don't know all the details of how all that's going to play out in heaven, but I do know what the Bible says, that the apostle Peter encouraged and exhorted and gave hope to those who were serving in the church. There's not only the crown of glory, but there is also the crown of righteousness. This is the, the one that you say, I don't have time to serve. I couldn't serve anymore. Bummer, I'm not going to get the crown of glory but maybe you could get the crown of righteousness for those who long for Jesus and his return. I talked to um, a woman right after the first service and she said, man, I just, I'm not gonna be able to get that crown of glory because I just don't have time. I've got three kids and I'm already booked up and stressed out and don't have enough time. I said, but you can get that crown of righteousness. So you can long for Jesus and his return. Is that easy? No, I don't think it's easy. I think by far, if we were to do research and do a survey, most Christians love this world far greater than the world to come. We have a hard time imagining what heaven would be like without maybe our stuff. And we have a hard time trusting that God is far better and the best than anything we could ever imagine. Um, what I want to encourage you in doing as we understand the new heaven, the new earth is the greatest places you've ever been. Just take a mental snapshot of that and then pause and walk away and say, in heaven, it'll be far greater. It'll be even better. 
So please don't misunderstand God's redemptive plan. It's far greater. So when you begin to coach your mind, coach your level of thinking that every relationship I experience here and now will even be, there'll be a greater accomplishment, a sense of joy and relationship in heaven. And so then we could perhaps learn to long for the return of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul encouraged a young protege ministry leader, and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Apostle Paul's encouraging Timothy, like, hold out. The world isn't as it will be. The world is in these times in between where we're waiting for the return of the king. And so if we long for that, we can expect there would be this crown of righteousness if we believe the Bible to be authoritative and true. I believe that. I believe not only is there a crown of righteousness, but there is a crown of imperishability. This would be for exercising spiritual disciplines. If you've got a good habit of walking in holiness, living for the Lord, you have dedicated time, talent, and treasure to serve God in your life, you rise in the morning or you stay late at night or you stay in the middle of the day, you meditate on scripture, you're praying, you're doing some of these healthy spiritual habits of spiritual disciplines, the Bible says that there's a reward for that. It's the wreath of imperishability. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 25, the Apostle Paul addressed a group of athletic uh, church members that had analogies of sports as a very clear picture of that was their life. So he Lincoln's likens the Christian life to the athletic life. And look what he says. He says, do you not know that all, run, all that run in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete ex ex exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Did you know that when you live your life for Jesus Christ, you Matthew 6.33, you seek first the kingdom of God, all those other things begin to find their place and priority. You're disciplining yourself. And Jesus takes note of that. The apostle Paul is well aware of that and exhorts other churches to do the same thing, exercise self-control. What does an athlete do? They work really hard at it. Tiger Woods doesn't just step to the tee box and just tee off because he just did it a couple times. He, what we don't see that's not on the cameras is the hours, the months, the years that have gone, have gone in when nobody else was looking. There's incredible discipline. In the athletic world, it's called muscle memory. When you do something over and over and over and over and over and over again, it becomes like second nature. In the Christian life, you need muscle memory. Some of you need to grow in your spiritual disciplines. You are a grown adult, but you're incredibly spiritually weak. And what you can do is you can go to God's gym and exercise those spiritual muscles and you get stronger, healthier. You, you accomplish more as a Christian living under the divine design. So this wreath 
is a imperishable one. In the old days, in the Roman world, there would have been a wreath that was awarded to those victors who won the competitions, the athletic events. In the Olympics, you see even the sign and the signia of these wreaths. That's a symbol and a sign of victory, winning. God's plan is for you is to gain victory over your life, over areas of sin, over struggles, and he wants to help you to do that, and he even promises to reward us in that. Two more crowns. There is this one crown that I hope that we all work towards even more is the crown of rejoicing. And this is for those that help un- win unbelievers to Jesus Christ. This is according to 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and Philippians 4.1. Look what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. If you'd read the rest of that chapter in the previous one, you'd realize the Apostle Paul had planted a church. He and his team, they'd, they had uh, won unbelievers to Jesus Christ. They were discipling them. He visits them. He encourages them. He thanks God for them. They're giving faithfully. And the joy in the crown that he's excited about is the salvation of unbelievers coming to faith in Jesus Christ. If, if we get to heaven and we don't see a number, scores of people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ after God, may God bless me in this endeavor, uh, 30 plus years of, of active ministry and, and, and our ministry teams and our church working all together in harmony, working together, we ought to see scores of people with this crown of rejoicing. Why? Because they reached out to unbelieving family members and friends And Jesus takes note of that. And the Bible even says that angels in heaven rejoice. When somebody that's far from God turns away from their sin and turns towards Jesus, there's an eruption of celebration in heaven with angels. And Jesus himself says, I have a crown for that, and it's called the crown of rejoicing. And how fitting is that, is that there would be rejoicing in heaven, and we would have a crown that would uh, show us that. What an important thing. Why? Because Jesus said he came to give life and to give it what? Abundantly. Who are those family members, these friends that are far from Jesus Christ? Are you laying up a crown of rejoicing? Are you laying up other crowns in heaven? There's lastly, perhaps one that maybe you would receive. Um, It is perhaps less a reward for believers in our part of the world. It is the crown of life. These are for those that have endured temptation, trials, and uh, persecution, and even martyrdom. According to Revelation 2.10, this is a, a, a crown that is received for those that have uh, 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 died for their faith, but it could also be linked to temptations and trials according to James. James said in James chapter 1, verse 12, we read, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And if you read it further in the context, it's Jesus, the Lord, handing out these crowns, which is amazing to me. And so what we have is we have an absolute system in which God has declared and demonstrated from the, 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 the plain simpleness of teaching a scripture is that there is a reward system uh, and we ought to be motivated. So 
what is that going to look like? Imagine you get to heaven and you got all these crowns, or maybe you don't have very many, but then you look over and then your buddy's got tons of crowns. What's he going to do with them? Well, the Apostle John gives us a picture. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, there's church leaders, the 24 elders fall down before him, that is Jesus, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they do what with their crowns? They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. These crowns may serve as motivation, but nothing will compare to the presence and the power of Jesus, our King. And all the accomplishments that we have achieved will be nothing compared to Jesus. Years ago, there was a youth leader who was leading worship in Daytona Beach with his band, and they were singing the song, We Fall Down, We Lay Our Crowns by Chris Tomlin. And they were well aware of Revelation chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, the passage I just read. And they began, and God began to stir in this young man's heart the desire to form a band by the name of what we now know as casting crowns. John Mark Hall and his band would soon become one of the top contemporary Christian music groups to travel the world and make an impact for Christ. John Mark caught a vision of serving God by using his time, his talent, and his treasure to serve Jesus. He embraced a vision to live in such a way that it would make an eternal difference in heaven. And so my question is to you, how does God want you to make an eternal difference? Maybe today the Lord is prompting your heart and leading you to evaluate the eternal, the, the eternal impact that you could have. What's God calling you to do right now? What crown do you want to lay at the feet of Jesus more than any other? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. The take-home truth is this. Is what crown do you want to lay down? Now you might say all of them. Okay, fine, that's great. You are uber spiritual. I'm very proud of you. But let's go with the small win strategy. How about one? One that you're like, man, I really feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me. I, I want to live in such a way that I would be awarded with this kind of crown. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege to teach your word. I pray for my friends here today that they would just simply apply it because it'll make a world of difference in this life and in the life to come. And so, Lord, we thank you for the great privilege that we have to learn from your scriptures read them, apply them, and we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to minister among us, empower, bless our church, bless our homes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.